The scripture reading this morning is from John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him this third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. may be seated. So appropriate to have Mr. Randy read the scripture. Uh, I know the sixth graders feel that way. You all may not know this, but Mr. Randy uh, has been a part of the leadership of confirmation at Brentwood United Methodist Church for 21 years, consecutively 21 years. And we're so grateful uh, for his ministry among us and for all of you who have had a hand in this important confirmation process. Brentwood Church, you know how to do this. You know how to teach youth and children. And I wanna thank Ellen Garrett and all of our uh, children's ministry staff and certainly the lay team, uh, Holly Fisher, Rachel Melton, and notice that Maggie Gerald is back with us today and it's great to see them. We have many folks who have participated as counselors, small group leaders, friends in faith, and if you've had anything to do with this marvelous confirmation process in that regard, we'd like for you to stand. We want to thank God for you. Would you stand, please? Those of you who have, thank you so much. Let's give thanks to them. I don't know if you're aware of it, but we've had a, a pretty busy week in Music City this week. Uh, we have had, apparently, uh, the biggest sporting event in the history of the state of Tennessee that has happened here Thursday through Saturday night, and thank you, Jesus, it ended last night. Uh, they predicted that 100,000 people would come. They missed it by about 100,000. Uh, I'm told that there were 200,000 people who came to Nashville for the NFL draft. Some of them, let me just warn you, are still roaming the streets of Broadway this morning. Uh, they're a little red-eyed, and so you might want to stay on this side of town for another day or so. But it was a big week. Apparently, they built a three-story stage on the banks of the Cumberland River, at the expense of some cherry trees, thank you. There were 40 million people, we're told, who watched this event on ESPN. There were 2,000 journalists who flew into the city just to cover the story. And so, it's a pretty big deal. All 32 professional football teams were represented at tables there. The teams with the worst record get the first pickings. You know how it works for the equity of the league. Teams with the best record, like the Patriots, get the later picks. There are seven rounds of 32 picks, so each team gets to pick a player in seven rounds. There is an eighth round, I'm told, that is for free agents. So if you do the math, eight rounds times 32 picks is 256 athletes 
and it took four days to choose them. Now, now you would think that the best players are usually chosen first, right? And often that's the case. For example, and I'm dating myself here, in 1970, you know who the first round draft pick was? His name was Terry Bradshaw. Ever heard of him? Pittsburgh Steelers. Let me get a little closer to our time. 2012, first round pick, Andrew Luck from Stanford, who plays for the Colts now. But it doesn't always work out that way. Tom Brady in 2000 was picked in the sixth round. He was picked number 216, and yet he's done fairly well, hasn't he? I'll go a step beyond that. There was another player in the 50s who was drafted number 200 later rounds whose name was Bart Starr, the only NFL player to ever win three consecutive championships. And so I say all that to you to say it's not always obvious who aspires to greatness by their pick in the order. You can measure strength, you can measure speed, but we've not yet found a way to measure the heart of a person. I read the other day that today there are 67,887 collegiate football players in the United States. And out of that number, 256 are drafted to go pro. So essentially, here's the bad news for college football players. One-third of 1% 1 of you will play at the next level. And so for us to host such an event, it was a big deal. But what's happened this morning is actually a bigger deal. This is our version, this is the BUMC draft that just happened this morning. 124 of you are being confirmed in the faith as a part of a team whose mission is to change the world in the name of Jesus. Now, I know that there are people sometimes who think, amen, amen. <laughs> You are a first-round draft pick. What's happening here, the church is not a game. The church is not a game. The church is a life. Discipleship is a life that is centered on loving God and loving others. And that, my friends, is a pretty big deal. In the text that we just had read for us by Randy, if you backtrack a little bit from John 21, 15, if you go back to the first 14 verses you'll discover that the risen Christ has now appeared in risen glory to seven fishermen, a handful of fishermen who were there around Good Friday who had seen their teacher executed and nailed to a tree, and they were so grief-stricken, they were so uncertain of what to do, where to go next, that they go back to fishing. These disciples who were once called by Jesus to fish for men, for people, have now gone back to fishing for fish. They didn't know what to do, so they went back to the only thing that they knew. They went back to the water. They went back home to Galilee to the nets. They grew up fishing, and so they could do it with their eyes closed. And maybe, I think maybe, they were just tired of thinking. You ever just get tired of thinking? 
and you just want to turn it off for a moment. Well, that's what they did. They went fishing. Or as one of my friends used to say, fishing is an excuse for not having to think. But they fished all night that night, and they didn't catch a thing. John says all night they come back to the shore, they have empty nets. Empty nets is John's way of saying that the old life B.C., before Christ, living life without Jesus is like empty nets. It's unproductive. It's unfruitful. It's unfulfilling. And so here they come, rowing back. It's daybreak, and they look over on the beach, and they see a stranger on the bank. You remember this story? And the stranger is motioning, cast your nets starboard. Cast your nets to the right. And when they do, it's jackpot. They catch such a mess of fish. And what I love about the story is John remembers the exact number. How many fish did they catch? 153. Good fishermen always remember how many they caught. My mother used to say when we'd come back, how many did you catch? And oh, I don't know, about, a, about 37. You always remember. And for John, numbers have meaning. 153 fish. There were many Greek zoologists in the first century who believed that there were 153 different species of fish in the sea. And so when John says 153, that number means there is room in the net for all shapes and sizes. There are guppies and minnows. There are shiners and sharks. All size, all shapes. And in spite of the diversity, the net remains untorn. Suddenly, these disciples, after this catch, discern that this is no stranger on the shore. It's him. It's Jesus. And you remember, this is the comical part. Peter, who's been fishing in the birthday suit, in the nude, as was common in that day, puts on his clothes, does a belly flop in the surf, and swims all the way to Jesus. He just can't wait to see Jesus. And Jesus cooks them breakfast. And listen to this. He breaks the bread he breaks the fish, and he gives it to them. Sounds like communion, doesn't it? It's a sacrament. And suddenly their eyes are opened, and they know they're in the presence. After the meal, Jesus takes Peter aside and drafts him into ministry. Now, if you know Peter's story, it's not the first time that this has happened. Jesus had chosen Peter earlier in Caesarea Philippi. In fact, Peter was the first disciple to do what you all did just a moment ago. He was the first disciple to confess Jesus as Lord, as Christ, as Savior. So what's happening in John 21 after the resurrection, it's a recall of Simon Peter. And Jesus asks a very important question, but it's not exactly like the first question that he asked. In Caesarea Philippi, he asked, who do others say that I am? What do you believe about me? And that's an important question. But this question on this day that he asked is the one I want to ask you. He looks at Peter and he says, do you love me? And he asked it three times. 
Now, why would he have done that? Well, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And so it's like at this point, Jesus is giving Peter a mulligan. He's giving him a do-over. He's giving him a second chance. This is the grace of God in Jesus. This is what he does for us. Because when Jesus chooses a disciple, he won't ever let you go. Even if you let go, he won't. Jesus is the Son of God who never gives up on us even when we give up on ourselves. Do you love me? And at this point, the question is not just about doctrine, although that's very important, it's about passion. Because faith in its simplest form is about a relationship of love, a personal relationship with Jesus. And Peter responds to this question each time in the same way. Yes, 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 Lord, you know that I love you. And after each response, Jesus gives a command. Then feed my sheep. And he repeats it three times. The message, confirmands is this. If you want to show your love to Jesus, the way to do it is to care for the flock. It's to nurture people in love. Because the truth is, when you're chosen, you're not just called to be a disciple. You're called to disciple disciples to care for the flock. I think sometimes we in the church need to learn that, that we're not here just as sheep to be fed. We're shepherds to feed others. When I think about this, I think about Luke chapter 2. It's the only story in the New Testament where Jesus is portrayed as a boy, and he's about your age. He's 12 years old. You remember this story? The story says that Mary and Joe came from Nazareth. They had all their family, the caravan, cousins, uncles, aunts, everybody coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And Jesus was 12, and he came with them, and they spent the week there. At the end of the celebration, they're going back home. They get about a day's journey towards Nazareth. They're sitting around the campfire that night roasting marshmallows, and they realize that one of the kids is missing. Now, I'm sure it wasn't Joseph who figured it out. It was Mary. It had to be Mary who figured it out. And so she turns around the whole caravan. They beat it back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus. You remember where he was? He was in the church. He was in the temple. And Mary, who was frantic, said, Son, don't you realize what you've done? You've worried us to death. And Jesus says, Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? And that's a great answer. It's tough to take from a 12-year-old. But you know what he was doing when they found him? 12 years old. He was teaching the elders. He was feeding the flock. Even as a kid, he was shepherding. Travis Garner is our pastor. He's been some of your youth director. He's our pastor at our satellite church in Nolansville called The Village. He shared with me a story a while back about a woman who's been coming to their church. She had not been a part of the church for about a decade. Her husband had passed away, and she was buried in grief for a long time. Her pastor moved, and she just couldn't go back to church. It was too emotional. But she's joining the church today at The Village, and he told me her story. 
He said, in her subdivision, in the neighborhood where she lives, we have a family that comes to our church, and they have a little boy. He's 11. His name is Jake. And whenever this woman walks her dogs, Jake is out there with his dog riding his bicycle. And, and Travis said, he's a talker. And said, this is a boy that doesn't have a filter. His parents just never know what in the world he's going to say. And he loves to talk about two things. He loves to talk about dogs, and he loves to talk about the church. And I've noticed sometimes there's a correlation between those two, but that's another sermon. <laughs> so he's been telling this lady how much he loves his church to the point that she really got kind of tired of it and decided she'd better check it out for herself. And this morning, she is joining the village because she has rediscovered her faith in God. And he said, if you ask her why she's joining, she will tell you, because I've seen Jesus on a bicycle in my subdivision, and he looks a lot like a kid named Jake. He's 11, and he's already shepherding. That's your job. That's mine. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. One other word. I was coming into the church a couple of months ago. It was early on a Sunday morning. That's my practice. I like to get here way before anybody else does and have some quiet time. I was coming in about 6.15. I have a picture of this. I was coming in to the narthex by, through the double doors. And if you can see up in the crevice there, up on that concrete, right in the corner, I spotted a nest. And I stopped in my tracks for a moment, and I watched as this mother bird came out of the nest, back into the nest, out of the nest, and I realized I saw the tops of their heads, the little ones. She was feeding her flock. And I, I, when I saw that, I immediately thought of Psalm 82. You know that psalm, how lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord. My soul longs, indeed faints for the courts of the Lord. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she lays her young. And there they were. And I just watched them. I didn't tell you about it because I didn't want to disturb their home, and so I kept it to myself, and I don't think, hard, I don't think anybody really noticed, and I came back a few weeks ago, and they're gone. Baby chicks don't stay forever in the nest. In fact, I wanted to know how long they stay, and so I went to the source of all wisdom, Google, <laughs> and I discovered, you know how long they stay? About two weeks at the most, 14 15 days, and they're gone because those babies are born to fly, and so are you. You've been drafted. You've been chosen by Jesus, and all of us are here. The church, in fact, exists to give you wings so that you can fulfill the purpose for which you were born. And it starts with a declaration of faith. Do you love me? It starts with loving Jesus 
and feeding sheep. And that is a big deal. We believe in you. Some of the things that I'm writing, uh, reading says today that this group may be the next greatest generation. Lord, may it be so. We believe in you. But more than you, we believe in Christ in you. And our prayer this day is that you would always know who you are and whose you are to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.